My screen time was down 9% last week. Thank you, Apple, for telling you. Does anybody else get those notifications? Yeah, I don't tell you all about the, the bad ones. I just tell you all about the, the decrease, right? Look, it's great to see all of you here. Thanks for being in, with us here in Next in Grace Church of Central. We're glad that you would choose to spend your time with us today. Podcasters, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, we want to add value to your life today. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to be inspired. We want you to be motivated and challenged to get better and grow into the person that God has designed you to be. And if we can hit one or more of those goals by the time we leave out of here today, then we will feel like we have accomplished what we wanted to do. We are continuing our series today. Thank you, Rex and Heather. Thank you, Rex, for carrying them in. Heather, thank you for making the ham and cheese croissants. They were wonderful. And whenever I got in here this morning, uh, yes, but whenever I got in here this morning, the lights were on, uh, the air was set, the coffee was made. Steve and Sarah, thank you all for taking care of that. I appreciate that so much. We're continuing our series today, Stuff Jesus Said, and we started out a couple of weeks ago with Deny Yourself and Take Up Your Cross, everybody's favorite, y'all love that one, and then we followed that up last week with Love Each Other As I Have Loved You, and those of you that reached out this past week sent me text messages uh, just talking to me about what that meant to you, I appreciate that, that meant a lot to me, thank you for that feedback, I appreciate it more than you realize. We're going to keep heading in sort of the same vein today, we're staying with our series, but As we've said before, Jesus said some stuff, and all of it he said on purpose. He wasn't just trying to to get to a certain word count. He meant all of it. And he said a lot of stuff about love. And I want to dig into that just a little bit deeper this week and talk to you about some stuff that Jesus said about love your neighbor. Look at the person next to you and say, hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Yeah. The instruction or the command Jesus gave to love your neighbor is part of a well-known and much-loved story told by Jesus. It comes from the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's found in Luke chapter 10. And this is the only place in the four Gospels where this parable appears is in Luke chapter 10. And most of us have heard this story at some point in our lives Um, most of us in Sunday school, but some of us, maybe you've not ever been a part of Sunday school, but you've just heard the phrase, oh, well, they're a good Samaritan, right? So it's such a well-known story. It's actually, there there are idioms that have come come about as a result of this story. Um, In typical Jason Cooper fashion, I'm going to go ahead and step up and put my head on the chopping block early. Uh, by being probably too honest with you than what is probably wise. But I think the story of the Good Samaritan is pretty annoying and just a tad bit ridiculous. People only like the story of the Good Samaritan if they don't understand it or they have no intentions of doing what it says to do. But if you take the time to think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and what it really means, you won't like it either. And so that's kind of my goal here today. 
uh, I want to um, I want to make you not like a part of the Bible. That's a strange thing to do for a Sunday school class, but I I, I really want to make us all squirm just a little bit because love your neighbor. It sounds so sweet. It it sounds so Christian. It sounds so velveteen art Jesus with his doe eyes holding a lamb. You know, it just. I want you to keep in mind who said, love your neighbor. Jesus said that. God made flesh said that. And that Jesus, that Jesus didn't play around. And he didn't mince words. And he didn't deal in confectionaries. He was, he was serious. So check it out. Luke chapter 10. Here's the parable of the Good Samaritan with a little bit of backstory, verses 25 through 37. And we're reading in the NIV. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Whoa. Stop right there. Because right away, we ought to be on guard and paying serious attention because this is eternal life stuff that's being discussed here. What is written in the law? He replied. Jesus said, how do you read it? Well, you tell me, (laughs) Mr. Expert in the law. Tell me what you see. How do you you see it? Jesus is saying. So verse 27, this uh, expert in the law replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, now you done messed up. Because in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let me tell you why you shouldn't like this story. See, a parable is a story, but it's not just any old story. More often than not, a parable is uh, a story with a, with a sting in its tail. Anybody see what I did there? It's a play on words because a parable is a tale and 
Okay. I'll try to do better. Jesus often used parables to, to generate a little bit of shock and discomfort in the people who are listening to him teach. They're supposed to, a parable is supposed to get you to, get you to sit up and get you, get you agitated. If it doesn't and you don't, then that probably means you aren't getting it. And Jesus told this story this day to really get under the skin of his audience. He knew who was listening. Now, the story has four primary characters, right? You have the robbed and beaten man, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, we don't know much about this man who is taking his journey. It's, he's mostly important in that the other characters are judged by how they respond to him and his desperate situation. But we do know that he was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and that road was notorious in Jesus' time. It was called the way of blood or the bloody pass because so much violence happened along this road. And if people that traveled it, it was, it was very often that you would be prone to robbery and bloodshed. So the people that are listening to Jesus that day, they wouldn't have been surprised at all to hear that a man had been beaten and robbed on this, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They probably all knew someone. They would have been shaking their heads with wisdom. Yep, yep, I know all about that. Yeah, I, I know. They probably knew somebody that had been accosted on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Billy the barn builder. Yep, yeah, I know him. He's beaten and bloody in the ditch, Billy the barn builder. So there's nothing really surprising there yet. Like they haven't heard anything. That, there's no sting in the tail yet. This is not anything surprising. Nor would they have been surprised by the questionable, uh, questionable behavior of the priest and the Levite, right? These two religious hypocrites. Because as they listened to Jesus tell this story, they, they probably would have been more even nodding of the heads in, in self-righteous disapproval. Kind of like what we do whenever we read the story and we get to the part about the priest and, and the Levite. You know, religious leaders are always easy targets. I mean, who gets picked on more than religious leaders? Politicians? I mean, that's about it. And I mean, what great company, right? Going to put a religious leader in, in the same category as a politician. So Jesus taking a jab at the religious muckety-mucks of the time, that wouldn't have been all that controversial either. There were a lot of people in Judea that were fed up with the religious ruling elite of the time. So still nothing surprising yet. No, no sting in the tail yet. But there's one more character to consider. This Samaritan. Now, some translations of the Bible, like the NIV that we read today, and don't get all twisty because the King James does the same thing. They introduce verse 33 with the word but. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. See, the, the but is there to set up a contrast between what the Samaritan does and what the previous two religious elite hypocrites did. It lets us know that there's going to be something different coming with this Samaritan. But in the original, however, you go back to original manuscripts, verse 33 simply begins with a Samaritan or and a Samaritan. So for the original listeners that were in the crowd that day, their expectation at the beginning of, of Jesus introducing the Samaritan would have been for the Samaritan to pretty much do what the previous other two had done. Because, I mean, for them, after all, Samaritans were scum. 
They had no redeeming virtues. Uh, they, were, they weren't Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They were half-breeds. They were mongrels. They were detested. The Jews didn't like them, and the Gentiles didn't like them. They didn't fit in anywhere. So when the Samaritan goes over to where the beaten man is lying, the expectation was probably, for the people that were listening to Jesus tell the story, their expectation was probably that this Samaritan was going to give beat up and bloody Billy the barn builder just another swift kick in the ribs, right? Or a little poke in the eye or maybe pull out a stiletto or something and, you know, stick him between the third and fourth rib and be done with it. That's what their expectation was. Sure enough, the Samaritan does exactly what the Levite and the priest had done. The Samaritan walks across the road to see Billy the barn builder laying there naked, and then, bam, the sting in the tail. It happens whenever Jesus says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, Jesus is like, he is deliberately messing with people right now and their expectations and their preconceptions about Samaritans. He's undermining the values that they had always assumed to be true. Sneaky Jesus. This is sneaky Jesus right here. The religious no goods, they respond to this broken and hurting man with just callous indifference. Just walk on by. But this dirty, no good Samaritan half-breed responds with meaningful compassion that cost him something. The detested, low-class, mongrel Samaritan that didn't fit in anywhere rescues the man and saves his life at a great cost and inconvenience to himself. So the two silver coins, the two denarii that he leaves with the innkeeper, that would have probably been enough to cover that man's expenses for the next two to three weeks. A denarii was about a week's worth of wages. So do that math real quick, whatever you make in a week. That's what he gave over, two weeks worth. That's what he gave over to the innkeeper and said, if this doesn't cover it all, just take care of it, and I'll take care of the rest of it whenever I get back. So two to three weeks, maybe a little more. And, and, and he was prepared to give more if necessary. Now, as much as I don't like this whole story, I kind of enjoy this next part. Because this is, this is Jesus just rubbing it in. Because in my mind, it was kind of like whenever you make someone admit that you were right and they were wrong. Y'all have never done this before. You should try it. It's a lot of fun. You, make, you know, you get that begrudged mumble like, you know, that. You know, that there's some type of question about something and you pull out Google or Siri. Hey, Siri. And Siri actually says you were right. And they have to admit it. I love that. It's nice to be right sometimes. Isn't that right, dear? Sometimes she lets me be right. So it's like I can hear this lawyer, this expert in the law, I can hear his reluctant mumble. Whenever Jesus says, he says, all right, now you've heard my story, so you tell me, Mr. Expert in the law, 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in religious law says, I want to have mercy on him. Because he can't bring himself to say Samaritan. So there, Jesus, there. Okay, you made your point. I get it. You happy now, Jesus? As usual, Jesus is taking a very radical point here. He's saying that mercy or compassion is blind. It's non-discriminatory. Mercy does not make judgments about the person who is in need of mercy. Compassion does not set limits on the help that it gives. Jesus is saying that we cannot eliminate anyone from the category of neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, hi, neighbor. Folks, this is some pretty radical stuff. And when you think about it, it's really pretty ridiculous. Oh, Jason, come on now. I mean, you're saying that Jesus Jesus being ridiculous, Jesus being unreasonable. Well, doesn't the idea of boundless compassion strike you as just kind of ridiculous and maybe just a little bit unreasonable? Otherwise, I mean, you got to you got to draw the line somewhere, right? Come on, all the reasonable people in the room. I mean, you you got to draw. You got to have some boundaries somewhere because I mean, if you don't, then I mean, people are just going to take advantage of you, right? I'm telling you, nexters, y'all should not like this story. Let me see if I can make it a little worse. Why? Why is Jesus even telling this story? Why is he? T- why? Why tell this story? Well, let's remember the framework, right? Jesus is engaged in this dialogue with this young lawyer who wants to know, how can I inherit eternal life? That's a good question. I want to know the answer to that question. And so Jesus responds to his question by affirming those two great commands. Love God, love others. Talked about loving others last week. The lawyer, surprise, Wants to know just how much he's on the hook for. Well, okay. Who is my neighbor? I mean, that's a great question, too. This guy's full of great questions. This dude's going to be a great lawyer. By asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's really asking for Jesus to tell him who wasn't his neighbor who can I rule out who can I cross off the list who don't I have to worry about I'm looking for you to reduce my liability here just a little bit Jesus because if I know who isn't my neighbor then I don't have to worry about trying to love everyone which is clearly impossible and unreasonable I mean, you got to set some attainable, reachable goals in order to be successful, Jesus, right? Smart goals. You ever heard of those, Jesus? And if we're going to love our neighbor, we need to clearly define who he or she is. I mean, you gotta, you got to clarify and focus the mission, Jesus. If you want to get the job done, 
You don't you can't worry about everybody. That would be a drain on our resources. Let's narrow this down. See how reasonable this is? So that's why Jesus tells this shocking story about a compassionate and merciful Samaritan. He's answering the lawyer's question and stopping his attempts at self-justification in their tracks. See, the lawyer wanted to find out who he must love. And Jesus responds with a story that shows love on an order of magnitude that should make everybody in here squirm and sweat just a little bit. In case you missed it, and in case you're still comfortable here in your chair and next today and oblivious, I want to spell this out for you. The parable of the Good Samaritan that you've heard since you were six, this story means that even my sworn enemy is the legitimate and necessary recipient of my love, mercy, and compassion. Everyone and anyone is my neighbor. But look, don't worry about that. I mean, this is just eternal life that's hanging in the balance, right? So, Jason, let me let me let me get this hold. Let me get this straight. All right, you're saying that Jesus makes indiscriminate mercy, instinctive compassion, and costly kindness essential non-negotiables whenever it comes to eternal life. You're saying that. If we love Jesus, then we will love our neighbors, which is essentially everybody, without exception. That's what you're saying. Yep. That's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's exactly what Jesus said. And if that's a problem for you, then let me be the first to welcome you to my world. Because Jesus said a lot of stuff that I have problems with. Y'all see why I don't like this story? Few of you do. I don't like this story because I do not often and always love my neighbor this way. And I struggle with understanding how literally I should take these radical out there Jesus statements. We we have this... uh, Let's go ahead and mix politics and religion. We have this relatively new approach to health care here in America. It's called the Affordable Care Act. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. Obamacare. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Now, every single person, regardless of income or background, has access to health care. At least that's what they tell me. So, yeah. If I'm leaving out the Grace parking lot today, else, after church is over and, and we've sung our songs and we've heard our sermon and spent some time in the altar and I'm, I'm rolling out of Grace Church parking lot and we're having the, the standard discussion. Where are we going for lunch? Right? What do y'all want for lunch? And, and I see somebody on the side of Hooper Road and they are lying there naked and beaten and bloody and in desperate need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an ambulance. 
I'm gonna call him. I'm I'm come I'm gonna call nine one one. I might even hang out until the ambulance gets there. Amy, I might even get out of my vehicle and stay by that person and try to help however I can until the healthcare professionals get there. But Shane, once they do, I'm out. I'm out. I don't feel obligated to get in the ambulance and ride to the hospital with that person. Much more do I much less do I feel obligated to go to the go to the desk and say, "Hey, here's my credit card. Go ahead and take just put everything on that thing right there. Whatever they need." And if there if it requires more than what is what the limit is on this card, I'll take care of it. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. No way, Jose. That's pretty unrealistic. My wife's back there like, yeah, you better believe it's unrealistic. That's pretty over the top. So get in the ambulance and ride to the hospital and give them your credit card? That can't possibly be what Jesus is talking about here, right? Well, tell that to a guy named Dirk Willems. Now, you can't tell Dirk anything because he's been dead for 400 years, but that's beside the point. Check this out. 400 years ago in the Netherlands, a Christian by the name of Dirk Willems was being chased by a soldier intent on arresting him. Now, Dirk had done something terrible. Uh, he, he, had, uh, he had chosen to be rebaptized as a willing adult, believing that infant baptism was not a valid expression of personal faith and belief in Jesus. Dirk was a member of something called the Anabaptists, and they faced severe persecution for their beliefs. And the men uh, who were Anabaptists were usually burned at the stake, and then the women were drowned. Now, Dirk knew that his arrest meant his eventual death. So he escaped from prison, get this, by making a rope from the bed sheets. So that, like, really happens. And climbing down outside of the building, and the soldiers spotted him and took off after him and pursued him. So to get away, Dirk runs across a frozen lake, and he managed to make it across. But whenever one of the pursuing guards tried to chase after him, the ice broke and the guard fell through into the freezing water. Now, Dirk, he could just roll on. He could have escaped at this point. But does he do that? No. Instead, Dirk turns back and rescues the guard. And then they all went and lived happily ever after. No, that's not what happened. Because then the guard's compatriots arrived and they rearrested Dirk, put him back in prison, And he was eventually burned at the stake. And the historical accounts of his death said that his death was long and painful. Being burned at the stake, no thank you. Folks, that's that's mercy. That is costly compassion. That, Nexter's is loving your neighbor. Now, I suppose the good news for us 
is that for most of us, it's not going to get that extreme. We're not going to have to escape from prison. We're not going to have to get rearrested and be drowned or burned at the stake. For most of us, loving our neighbors isn't literally going to cost us our lives. But it will cost us something. It's going to cost us something. I told y'all I don't like this story. Oh, it's a good Samaritan. Mm. More likely than not, that cost is going to be weighed out in our attitudes and our responses to people who are different from us. So, in the few minutes that we have left, just ask you a question. How will you respond to the Muslim whose beliefs are so different from yours? The Jehovah's Witness, the Mormon, refugees, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians. What about drug addicts, alcoholics? What about the woman who's had to sell herself? Not because she wanted to. Because she didn't have any other way to make money. What about the homeless person? What about the disabled person? What about the middle class, the working class, the upper class, the underclass? What about the political liberals, the rabid Democrats? What about the rabid conservatives? What about the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender questioning? Socially awkward. See, we all have a little place in our minds reserved for a group that we call them. Usually people that we don't know personally. And they aren't like us. And well, we don't like them. We don't like them. We choose not to associate. Y'all uncomfortable yet? Oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. I told you all I don't like this story. See, prejudice is such a great time saver. Saves so much time. It allows us to form opinions about people without really having to consider the facts or get to know them. That's so convenient. Prejudice makes it so easy to form opinions without empathy, without mercy, without compassion, and to just make judgments, man. Prejudice saves us so much effort of getting to know and understand someone and possibly maybe even seeing them as a human soul and then getting all mixed up. Next, I want you all to listen to Coop right here. Jesus' little story about the Good Samaritan, it's not just a cute little Sunday school lesson. It exposes our sinful approach to mercy. It exposes these erroneous boundaries 
on our choice to love. It exposes that too often we default to a works-based response where people have to earn our compassion. And some people would never qualify because of who they are or where they're from or what they've done or what they believe or how they live. So we instinctively create these categories of people who are deserving of our compassion and those who are undeserving of our compassion. And sure, we'll reach out to the people that deserve mercy. But those that don't qualify and meet the bar for our level of acceptance, well, I guess they're just going to have to stew in the mess of their own making. Folks, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't deal with me that way. I'm glad Jesus isn't that way with his mercy. I'm glad there were no boundaries on the love that Jesus has for me. So what? Is Jesus setting some ridiculously high, unachievable bar just to make us feel bad? Or worse, is he calling out some outrageous standard so that we can save ourselves by our works? No. He's just showing us reality. This story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus saying, this is just how it is in the kingdom of God. Don't you like it whenever somebody shoots you straight and just tells you what you need to hear? That's exactly what this stuff Jesus said is all about. He's just telling you exactly what you need to hear. And this is just how it is in the kingdom of God. We don't fight and claw our way into the kingdom by our actions or our works or our good deeds. But our actions do demonstrate that as a part of the kingdom, we're breathing a different type of air and we're drinking from a very different fountain from the rest of the people in this world. So to wrap up, I'm going to leave you with a question this week and then we'll finish with the scripture. I need a sip of water before I ask this one. With whom... Do you identify in the story of the Good Samaritan? If you were in this story, which character would you be? Not the one you want to be, but the one that's most like you. See, I want to think of myself as the Good Samaritan. Good, noble, self-sacrificing, compassionate, kind, merciful. But I've got a pretty strong suspicion that Jesus had very different intentions. He wanted me to see myself in those two religious professionals. To be painfully honest, my response to the needs of others is more often like theirs than it is the response of the Good Samaritan. I am very good, quite adept 
at working with a highly selective and frequently changing list of neighbors. Showing indiscriminate love and compassion to everyone in need. Next is, I'm going to tell you, that is a serious failing on my part. I am not good at that. I fail miserably. So, I really wish Jesus hadn't said that stuff he said about eternal life in Luke chapter 10. I really wish he had never told the story of the Good Samaritan. It's uncomfortable for me. It is unrealistic. It is inconvenient, but it also exposes who I really am. Sometimes I'm the religious professional. Sometimes I am the Good Samaritan. But really, I'm broken and bloody Billy the barn builder laying there on the side of the road in serious need of mercy from the Samaritan. And maybe if I can keep that in mind, I'll be a better neighbor to the people around me that are also broken and bloody and hurting. Look, this, this has been so much fun. Aren't y'all just having a ball today? Let's do it again next week. Tell you what, I think what we'll do next week is we'll stop playing around in the kiddie pool and we'll get off into like the deep end of some stuff next week. Uh, y'all come back next week for some really some good stuff. We'll talk about loving your enemies. Be a lot of fun. So let's, let's leave off with a scripture. If you come back next week, it's your own fault because I told you what's coming. Let, let's leave off with a scripture. And I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this scripture next week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look what Paul said. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give all I possess, to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love I gain nothing love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others and it's not self-seeking It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow. Lord, I don't know what you're up to today. I don't know what kind of stage you're setting. I don't know what it is you're trying to get across to, uh, to the sweet people here and next. You've been wearing me out the last couple of weeks, Lord, and I'm, I'm ready for a break, but you've put us on this path, Jesus, so that's okay. We'll run it to the end. Whatever it is you're trying to get Jason Cooper to understand about love for their sake, I pray that you would give, give it to me so we can get on past this. But maybe there's somebody in here today that needs to hear this. So help us. Help us to understand it. Open our minds and our spirits to what you're really saying to us about love, about how much you love us and how we're supposed to love others and who really qualifies as our neighbor. We need your help, Jesus. This broken and bloody dude right here, he needs your help so badly. And I figure they do too. So Lord, we ask you for your help. Thank you for loving us the way that you did. And I pray that you would help us to love others in the same way. In Jesus' name.